Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. So how many of you have ever, um, have, how many of you have ever driven across the country? Anybody ever gone from side to side? Well, we, um, if you ask Donna, we did not, we just came back from Wyoming, as you know. Um, maybe you don't, but now you do. Um, we did not drive this time, but we have several times. And if you ever ask Donna, if you ever plan to drive across the country, if you ever ask Donna, should we drive or fly, um, I assure you that Donna will say, well, if you've never driven across the country, you have to do it at least once. Um, uh, it is an amazing it's an amazing experience what you discover about our country when you drive um, across the country from one end to the other. There's a song, um, some people call it our, our national hymn, uh, the song America, and you discover it really is true, um, many of the lines in that song. It really is true when you drive across the country. The, the sky really is spacious and beautiful. Um, you'll discover that um, there really, really are amber waves of grain. Um, and they ripple like the ocean waves, almost like a giant hand is moving across the, the waves of grain, the beautiful amber waves of grain. And if you have a chance and if you get to sit at the right spot uh, late in the evening, um, the mountains really are majestic and purple. And the sun sets behind them, bleeding the last colors of orange and pink from the sky. And those majestic mountains are beautiful. Uh, a woman named Catherine Lee Bates wrote a poem uh, way more than 100 years ago about the beauties that she saw in America. Um, but what many people don't know about that song, Oh Beautiful for Spacious Skies, Oh Beautiful for Amber Waves of Grain, Purple Mountain Majesties, is that she actually meant that song to be a prayer. She meant it to be a request. Because even though she was in awe of the beauties of America, Catherine uh, had opportunities when she was a young woman to work with immigrant families in Boston and so she saw firsthand how the beauties and the, the bounty of America uh, was not yet experienced by everyone. And she had an opportunity because of when she lived, she had an opportunity to actually listen firsthand to Frederick Douglass speak about African Americans. And she realized that... Um, our country had not yet managed to live up to the promises of its constitution for whole numbers of people. So Catherine came to know that even in a beauty that we all know and love and experience, she came to know that America had sinned. And so in her song, she asked God to shed his grace. And there are words in that song 
like this. Uh, asking God to shed his grace, quote, until selfish gain no longer stain the banner of the free. God shed your grace until selfish gain no longer stain the banner of the free. Ever sing that verse in that song? That's not a stanza that we sing a whole lot. That's Super Bowls. Hard, hard to sing about the sin of greed during a halftime show at a Super Bowl, isn't it? Mouths full of chicken wings. Bates kept up this idea of, of praying in this marvelous poem. America, America, God mend thine every flaw, she wrote. America, America, God shed your grace on thee. Somehow she came to know that what our country needed was grace. And she believed that a prayer for grace were the words that needed to be in all of our mouths. God, give us grace. Not a bad prayer, I think. So if you'd let me, um, I would like to talk to you today, kind of pastor to people, about what maybe our national prayer ought to be right now. Let me start out by naming some of the things that worry and concern me and concern a lot of people. Some of the things that concern us kind of nationally right now, um, if I would name them, number one would be the tone of discourse in our country. For some time now, the tone of discourse in our country, politically and otherwise, has been pretty nasty and often very petty. We do a lot of unfriending of each other, not just on social media, but in life. Sometimes in our country right now, sometimes people are afraid to say anything because if they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about the integrity of our voting system, if I say that, I'll get labeled. If I say I'm concerned about our borders, I'll get labeled. If I say that our justice system needs reform, I'll get labeled. So I don't know what your experience has been like, but for me, it's been kind of hard to talk about things the last little while. Uh, there's been a lot of yelling at each other, talking past each other, putting people in boxes that none of us really ever fit in. But that's what we've done, and it concerns me, and it concerns a lot of people, the, the tone of our conversation. The second thing that concerns me that I've learned firsthand from talking to people is that there's a whole lot of people in our country who don't feel like they have a voice. Um, a lot of people have felt for a long time that they've been pushed to the margins and they've been silenced and the system doesn't work for them and they're angry. 
The third thing that concerns a lot of people, me and others, is this discovery that's been painful that our national sins have been hidden far too long in kind of an American mythology. We don't know how to talk about our national sins. And because we don't know how to talk about them, we don't know how to repent. We don't know how to talk about things like what we did to the Native Americans. We don't know how to talk about things like the history of racism, which is far deeper and far uglier than most of us care to admit. And as soon as anybody starts talking about it in any setting, and I know that some of you are feeling this right now, people are saying, yeah, but what about all the good we do? And that's true. Or people will say, but I wasn't there. I didn't do those things. And that's true, too. I wasn't. I didn't do those things. But every time I drive to Wyoming, I drive through miles and miles of a place called the Wind River Reservation. And even though I wasn't there and didn't do that personally, I didn't participate in our national sins in making the Wind River Reservation. What I now know is that I benefit. I benefit in ways that I will never fully understand. I can drive through a reservation of absolute poverty and go to the richest county in the country and and benefit in ways I don't understand. And I know a lot of people, I know when we have conversations like this, people will say, okay, so am I supposed to feel guilty? No. We're not. But you see how hard it is sometimes just to talk about these things. Our national sins have been kept hidden in ways that make us unable to even know how to talk about them. And if we don't know how to talk about them, we don't know how to repent of them. So there are concerns that I have, those and many others. But if I kept talking about our concerns, a whole bunch of you would say, man, I wish this guy would have never come back from Wyoming. And so rather than continue to talk about our concerns, let's start talking about what do we do about it? How do we respond to these concerns and others? Here are some of the things that I think the Bible has to teach us about addressing some of our national concerns right now. Number one, Jesus always calls us to be our best selves and to rise above the ugliness in any setting. He calls us to be our best selves and to rise above the ugliness in any setting. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was talking to disciples who certainly lived in a much more difficult time than we do, he said to them, you, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You, you 
are the light of the world. Like a city set on a hilltop, that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your goodness shine for all to see so that everyone will give glory to the Father. How do we do that? How do we be salt and light? Well, we do it, first of all, by paying attention to what God's concerns are. There are things that God always wants to motivate his people in the Bible. Let me give you a few of the things that are always on God's agenda. Number one, justice, concern for the poor. Pay attention to those who are farthest away from power, people who have no clout, no access to structures of power in our culture. That idea is the single most important theme in all of the prophets of the Bible. In Zechariah, for example, Zechariah wrote this, this is what the Lord God Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another, don't oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, do not plot evil against each other. In the world of the Bible, from beginning to end, the people mentioned there are people who had no access to power, to privilege, to clout, widows and orphans and foreigners. Those are the people God is always saying, don't forget them. Don't not see them. Now, there's kind of a caution in the church the difficulty in doing this and paying attention to those with no power and no clout is that as a church, it's sometimes hard to know how do I address specific political issues. Because sometimes as a pa often as a pastor, I don't know and I don't understand all the causes of powerlessness and poverty because I don't know and understand all of them, I don't always know the best solution. No pastor does. So sometimes what happens in church settings is in, a, in an attempt to address real concerns, a pastor might say, well, if God is concerned about the poor, then obviously we ought to raise the minimum wage. It's obvious. And that may be the case but most pastors simply don't have degrees in economics and in business. And we just don't know. We don't understand. And more than once, more than once in our history, well-intentioned pastors have landed on certain agendas only to find out that good intentions don't always bring about good results. It doesn't mean that in a church we should ignore issues. It means that we need people like you. We need thoughtful Christians. Thoughtful Christians who understand economics and poverty. We need you to look at these issues with God's heart and mind. 
And we need you to engage and help us to understand this is the very best thing that we can do for people who are poor. So to be salt and light, number one, is pay attention to God's agenda, things like justice. Number two, to pay attention to God's agenda means that we have to remember and understand that politics always comes with power and power almost always corrupts. There's a kind of a warning story in Acts chapter 12, sobering, on the day appointed by Herod, who was king. Um, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. The people shouted, this is the voice of God, not a voice of man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Kind of sobering, isn't it? It isn't just true of politics, it's true of every arena in life that power can be corrupting. It happens to pastors, it happens in businesses. Which is why people, when we are in any position of power, it is so important for us to cultivate virtues like humility and to cultivate practices like accountability. You and I, when we are close to power in any way, have to practice humility and have to have practices of accountability with others to avoid the temptations of power. The third concern of the Bible. In the Bible, Jesus is always as concerned with how we do a thing as he is with what it is we are doing. Let me explain that this way. There's a great story about Jesus being in the temple one afternoon. He grabbed his disciples and he said, guys, let's just stand here and watch the offering box for a while. Let's just see what happens. As they watched, there were a few people who walked by and put in pretty decent amounts of money in the offering box. But for everyone who was doing that, there was kind of a show attached, making sure that everybody watched and saw how much they were putting in. Then they watched, there was a lull in activity, and a widow walked up, a woman with very few resources, and she knew she had resource, few resources. She approached the offering box when nobody else was watching, and she dropped in her last two pennies. And Jesus smiled, and he told his friends, he said, you know, she put in more than all the rest. Now think about it for a second. That's an interesting word, isn't it? More. She put in more. Because obviously she did not. She put in less. But what Jesus was saying is God doesn't measure the way we do. God doesn't measure life the way we do. For God, it's not just about what we do. 
he measures also how we do it. So how we do a thing is as important as what we do. I recently learned, just within the last couple of weeks of reading um, some history, I read about a commitment card, the 1963 commitment card that Martin Luther King asked, didn't ask, he required all of his volunteers to sign. I never knew this. It's amazing, really. I want you to take a look at the commitment card that Martin Luther King asked. You, can you even read that? Okay, good. All of his uh, volunteers to sign. I hereby pledge myself, my person, and my body to the nonviolent movement. All of his volunteers, he asked them to sign this. Therefore, I will keep the following Ten Commandments. I will meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. I remember always that the nonviolent movement in Birmingham seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. I will walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. I will pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. I will sacrifice personal wishes in order that... Uh, I read that one. <laughs> um, no, I didn't. That all men might be free. I will observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. I will seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. I will refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. I will strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. And then finally, follow directions of the movement and of the captain of a demonstration. I signed this pledge, having seriously considered what I do and with the determination and will to persevere. I never knew that. It humbles me. It humbles me to know that Martin Luther King asked all of his volunteers to sign this. Because he knew that if the civil rights movement was going to succeed and bring about change, he knew that how they did a thing was as important as what they did. He knew there cannot be a divide between who we are and what we do. He knew that there can't be a divide between a public me and a private me. That the dailiness of our lives can't be separated from our dreams to save the world. If you think about it, this is where most movements fall apart, I think. I mean, how many times have we seen leaders whose lives turn out to be a mess and we suddenly lose interest in the movement? Or when we find out the big talk of a person has not matched his very little life. This was never so with Jesus. With Jesus, what he said is who he was. It's what he asks of all of us. And finally, um, if we are to pay attention to the concerns of Jesus, 
then it's important that we all remember that our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus. There's a great verse in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul wrote, but our citizenship is in heaven. And listen to this phrase, we eagerly await a Savior from there, from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul was reminding us of is that Jesus is our Savior, the only worthwhile Savior that there is. There's a book out uh, by Dr. James Hunter, just a very challenging book, couldn't even, I don't think I understood even a quarter of it, but it's called To Change the World. In this book, Hunter kind of reviews the history of many civilizations and cultures, and he said, you know, in a healthy society, in a healthy culture, there are all kinds of arenas where people can flourish. In a healthy culture, people can flourish in art, in education, in business, in faith. So what's interesting is when a culture starts to fracture and fall apart, slowly every arena starts to revolve around politics. Art becomes political. Movies become political. Faith becomes political. And the reason is, he said, is because people start to discover that the only area where you can force people to do your will is in politics. You can't do it in the arena of art or movies or faith, but you can in politics. So in an unhealthy, fracturing culture, everything becomes political. And to change anything, people will depend on politics. The problem with that is, as he points out, Political change is never permanent. It lasts two years, maybe, or four. And if a person's heart doesn't change, different administration, we'll go back to the way we were. And it's never permanent. This is exactly what the temptation was that Jesus faced from Satan. When he was being tempted, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all the power structures of the world, and Satan said, it can all be yours. I'll give you all the power, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down to me. And Jesus said, no. And the Jesus movement is still bringing about real, lasting change in people's lives. There is no other movement like his. It's so important for us to remember that Jesus is our savior, not politics. Jesus is our only legitimate savior. If lives are to change, ultimate change will come only through him. I want to pray, and then um, Tim asked to finish with one more song, and that song is also a prayer. So let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, 
I pray that um, you'd enable us to be people who genuinely see the beauty, the awesome beauty of our country, but recognize at the same time um, that we are depending upon you to shed your grace on our country. We need your grace. We need change that we believe only you can bring about. Pray, God, that you'll heal us, that you will empower us, that you will help us to live up to the ideals that we said are so important. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This particular song has a lot of uh, good feelings for me. Uh, when I was a Boy Scout and uh, the troop that was at uh, St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas, our scout leader always started with the Pledge of Allegiance and then we sang God Bless America. And uh, we always did it a cappella and it always sounded very nice. And uh, so I'd like us to all to end this morning. We'll sing it uh, through two times. So if you wouldn't mind standing and, and, and let's sing God Bless America. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her. Through the night with the light from above, from the mountains to the prairies, to the oceans white with foam, God bless America, my home sweet America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above from the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam god bless america my home sweet home god bless America, my home, sweet home. Now, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. 
then when he turns his face to you, may you know that the Lord smiles. May he give you grace. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.